I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. Just to catch you up to speed on where we are in chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews is resuming a point he began making back in chapter 4. And that point is that Jesus is the great high priest not after the Levitical order. When I say Levitical order, I mean that uh, the being descendants of Aaron, as the law had provided, that uh, the descendants of Levi, the tribe of Levi, was where they would get the priests that would serve in the temple. So the Levitical, uh, the Levitical order of priesthood. So Jesus is this high priest. He's not a Levite. He's from the tribe of Judah. But he is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so he's making that point, and then he, in chapters 5 and 6, he takes a little detour and is exhorting the people uh, to whom he writes that they should continue in the faith and not give up and that they should listen and, and have a deeper grasp of these things. And now, here in chapter 7, he's returning to what he was talking about before, this Melchizedek, this high priest, and uh, that Jesus is the great high priest in that order. So without further explanation, let us read Hebrews chapter 7, God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives." One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes, through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? But when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of his weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. 
But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests who offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. The word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Someone asked me about a month ago, after I preached on chapter 4, who is this Melchizedek? And I told them that they would have to wait until I got to chapter 7 to find out. And now here we are, and that person's not here. So they're going to have to listen to the recording, I guess. But I want to introduce you today to Melchizedek. He's a something of a mysterious character, and he's only mentioned three times in the Bible. The third and final time that he's mentioned is here in the book of Hebrews, in chapters 5, 6, and 7. Uh, the first mention of Melchizedek in the Bible is in Genesis 14, where we read about Abraham's encounter with him. In that passage, some kings from the north, uh, from present-day Iraq, invaded the area where Abraham lived, and they defeated some local kings. There was a war going on, uh, and, and in the process, they took Abraham's nephew Lot. You remember that Lot lived in Sodom. They took him captive. So Abraham hears about this. He musters his small band of, of, of men, and the Lord grants him a victory over these invading kings, and he is able to rescue Lot. And then Genesis 14 tells us that this is what happens next. After his return from the defeat of Cater Laomer, that's the king that he defeated, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So two kings come out to, to meet Abram after the victory. The king of Sodom and the king uh, Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And uh, the king Melchizedek blesses Abram, and Abram in turn gives him a tithe. Now the king of Sodom is going to speak. We didn't look at that here, but Abram will have nothing to do with him because he's wicked, and he will not take any credit or any benefit from the king of Sodom. But he pays attention to Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And these are the events to which the writer of Hebrews is referring in verse 1. 
in the, there at the very beginning. The second place in the Bible where Melchizedek is mentioned is Psalm 110.4. Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm. It's telling us, uh, pointing us to Christ, to the Messiah, to Jesus. And in verse 4, the psalmist states, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that's the verse, this verse from Psalm 110. That's the verse that the writer of Hebrews is expounding here in chapter 7. That's what he's been talking about. He wants us to see the superiority that Christ has as high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he does so by showing us how great Melchizedek was. I'm going to walk through the passage and, and, and help you to grasp the argument that he makes. I'm, I'm going to try to avoid making it a running commentary because uh, I'm going to make some points at the end. But hang in there with me. I'm going to try to help you grasp exactly the points that he is making. So let's begin. Uh, he begins in verse 1 by recounting Genesis 14. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham appointed a, apportioned a tenth part of everything. Then he speaks of his name and his titles. Melchizedek. This name means king of righteousness. And then his title is that he is the king of Salem. And now the word Salem means peace. So he is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. And they're not simply names and titles, but they are a reflection of Melchizedek's character. He was a righteous priest king who promoted peace. Then verse 3 tells us something that sounds rather extraordinary. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now some believe that this means Melchizedek was either an angelic being or a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. In words, Christ appearing before Christ actually did come to earth and take on human flesh. I don't believe uh, he was. I don't believe either one of these things. Uh, I don't believe he was an angelic being because the text attributes to him an earthly kingship. He was the king of Salem. Some commentators believe that this was Jerusalem before it became Jerusalem or some other local city. And I also don't believe that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ because the text compares him to Christ. He, he is like Christ, it says, and so you don't compare something to itself. That, that makes it uh, it's invalid. Rather, I believe, along with many other commentators and scholars, that verse 3 simply means that Melchizedek has no recorded genealogy, nor is there information on his birth or his death. Therefore, it's never recorded that he ceases being a priest. And this last fact is what makes him like Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is a high priest forever, because he is indestructible. He rose from the dead. So that's the first thing that he's saying there. Melchizedek was great. Abraham uh, was his inferior. And Melchizedek is pointing us to Christ. Then the text points out that Melchizedek blessed Abraham and Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. This clearly shows that 
Melchizedek was Abraham's superior. And since he's Abraham's superior, he's also superior to the Levitical priesthood because they descended from Abraham. They, in a sense, the Levitical priests actually tithed through Abraham to Melchizedek. So even though the Levitical priests received tithes from all the people in Israel, they tithed through Abraham to Melchizedek, as it says here, because they were still in his loins. They did it as well. So they, they bowed the knee to Melchizedek, in a sense. So what is this great priest-king Melchizedek's purpose? Why is he here? What's the point? Well, it's to show that there is another priesthood, an older, more distinguished priesthood than the Levitical priesthood. I'm going to give you an illustration. It's not a perfect illustration. But in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, the great book by C.S. Lewis, the, the white witch has taken over Narnia, and it's winter all the time, and there's never Christmas. It's very sad, and, and she uh, is a, a despot. And when Aslan comes, uh, she's trying to use her magic against him, but he reveals that he knows deeper magic, deeper magic that's from, from way beyond her time and her knowledge. And that's similar to what he's saying here. The Levitical priesthood came with Moses, but there's a, an older, deeper priesthood, that that was represented by Melchizedek. So this older, more distinguished priesthood, more distinguished than the Levitical priesthood, this older priesthood has nothing to do with descending from the correct tribe, like the Levites did. If you look at verse 15, it says, This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, so not by being of the tribe of Levi, but by the power of an indestructible life. Or is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So he's saying Melchizedek exists and he points us to Christ, the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he is a great high priest forever because he's indestructible. Sounds kind of like a superhero, doesn't it? But it's not fantasy. This is real. This is true. Christ rose from the dead. He has a real body. He was walking around as a human being after the resurrection, not some ghost. But he literally came back from the dead. And he is and continues to be forever fully God and fully human. See, we, we as Christians do not rely upon fallible, sinful, mortal human priests in order to draw near to God. Those priests are weak and useless, the Bible says here. Jesus gives all who put their faith in him a better hope than what the, the, the hope held out by the Levitical priesthood. That's what verse 19 tells us. Because he represents his people as their high priest forever at the right hand of God the Father. He is there interceding for his people. If you have Christ, you're trusting in him, you have him pleading your case before God the Father. He represents you there. 
we sang about it earlier, we, we sang about it a few weeks ago in the hymn, uh, Arise, my soul, arise. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry, nor let that ransomed sinner die. You see, Christ is there. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He represents us there. And where the law would condemn us, Christ is there pleading our case before a great judge. And he says, this one has been forgiven. See, I have the wounds to show that those sins were paid for, that the debt is, is gone, and that you can accept that person because of what I've done for him. He's pleading for us, interceding for us there at the right hand of the Father. And on top of all this, we see that it was the Father who established that Christ be the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Look at the great love that God has for his people. He backs it up with an oath even. See, the the Levitical priesthood didn't have any oaths associated with it, he says. They just became priests because they were born into the priestly family and they were chosen to serve. The Lord has sworn he says, and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, as it says in Psalm 110, and he's quoting here. You see, there's great love he has for sinners. He provides and accepts one great high priest for sinners, like you and me, Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now we get to my favorite verse, verse 25. I love this verse. Consequently, because of all we've just said, because he's a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, he's indestructible, he's there interceding for us, uh, he, has, he has paid the price for sin, our representative there, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's a beautiful verse, one that should be memorized by us all. He is able to save. Save from what? We need to ask that question. What is Jesus saving us from? Well, you are a sinner. It's not very popular to say these days, but you're a sinner and I am a sinner. Every, Every human being is a sinner. You have broken the law of a holy God. You are guilty. You have failed. You deserve to fully experience the wrath of a holy God. We were just talking in Sunday school about the the difference in our attitude towards our our laws, the laws of our state, the laws of our nation. You know, we can we can drive sixty three in a fifty five mile an hour zone. And we can probably drive by the state trooper. And he's probably not going to bother to stop us. You know, there's flexibility there. They don't stick to the letter of the law. You can probably drive down Father Ryan back here and you can probably roll through the stop sign without actually coming to a complete stop. Though I wouldn't try it in the presence of a policeman because I have seen someone get a ticket for that. But you know what I'm talking about. 
we, we have some flexibility, and the law is not applied equally to every human being. We've seen it in our culture. Some people are more privileged than others. And you commit the, if they commit the crime, they get off easy. If you or I commit the crime, we're going to jail. Athletes, politicians, etc. You can just name off a bunch of uh, examples of that. But when it comes to God's law, because God is perfectly holy, perfectly just, he always applies it equally, he always applies it fairly to every human being, no matter who they are. So even the slightest breaking of the law, we are held accountable for that. We are guilty, and we deserve to fully experience the wrath of a holy God. The punishment for your sins hangs over your head, and you cannot help yourself because you are guilty. You have done it, and there's no pulling it back in. You can't reel it back because it's already been done. You need mercy from God, and he has provided it. Jesus is able to save. For God so loved the world. That doesn't mean like, uh, don't read that like it's uh, a sorority girl at Ole Miss. God loved the world so much. No, it's not an intensifier. It's, it's God loved the world so, or for God loved the world in this manner. Here's how he loved the world. He gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, Jesus is able to save, and it, and it makes it even sweeter when he says, save to the uttermost. That's a beautiful word. It's a compound word in the original, and it's the word all, and the word completely or totally. So it's like this word that means even more than completely, more than to comprehensively save. He will save you totally, completely, fully, forever, because there's an, there's an, an aspect of time in there. It's, it's the same word for, that Jesus said on the cross when he says, it is finished, it is complete, it is done, it is fulfilled. That same word here it is completed, done, finished, totally, all. He is able to save all for all time in, in every aspect to the very end. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. See, Jesus can give us what the old Levitical priesthood never could give anyone, the ability to draw near to God. Only the high priest once a year could come right into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. When Jesus died, of course, that curtain was torn from top to bottom. And, and anybody could go in, and it was a symbolic act that, that now through Christ we can know him. We can draw near to God. We can know him in a relationship, a covenant relationship, where he's promised to be ours and, and we can be his. And we can do so because Jesus always lives to make intercession for them. 
for those who had put their faith in Christ. Now think about that. You know, sometimes we'll say that statement. You know, I just live for the beach. Or I live for football season. Or I live for my vacation. Or somebody might say, I live for my work. And we choose lots of different things to live for. Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercession for his people. Isn't that sweet that he does that? It is, it is so uh, heart-melting that he is up there interceding for you if you have put your faith in him. And he lives for that. See, Jesus is what you need. And he goes on in verse 26 to say, it was indeed fitting, appropriate, that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to sacrifice for his own sins because he was perfect. He doesn't need to continue making sacrifices because he's already made the one total and complete sacrifice that was necessary. See, he is the most appropriate high priest. That's what he's saying there. It is fitting. He is the fitting high priest. He is the one who meets the needs that we have. We must have a perfect high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and one that is representing us, exalted above the heavens at the right hand of the Father. Now, in conclusion, if you do not know Jesus today, if you do not have that relationship with him, if, if, if you've never turned to him for mercy, then I want to encourage you to do so today. To see your need. You need a high priest. You cannot represent yourself before God when you die. If you go up there saying, uh, uh, I'm a pretty good person, and uh, my good works will represent me, and they will be a representative of how I deserve to get into heaven, you will not make it. Remember what I said about the law. You have broken the law. You will not be allowed in. So you need to get straight with Christ. Rest in him. Trust in him for salvation. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. We sang about it in, in the second hymn we sang. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. Listen to the confidence of the second stanza there. If you know Jesus, you can say this. Because I, I was singing along. I hadn't sung this one in a while. But uh, when I sang it, I was like, wow, what, what confidence. And this is the confidence the Christian can have. Bold shall I stand in that great day. That's the day of judgment when we stand before God. Bold shall I stand in thy great day, for who ought to my charge shall lay. No one can say you're guilty because... because Fully absolved through these I am. Jesus' blood and his righteousness. From sin and fear, from guilt and shame. He is absolved from sin, absolved from fear, absolved from guilt, absolved from shame. Because of Jesus' blood shed for us and his perfect righteousness credited to us. Do you have that confidence today? Turn to Christ. Run to Christ. Rest in Christ. And if you do know him, just revel in his love for us. And in return, love him more. 
let that be a fuel for your service to him. You know, the reason the writer of Hebrews is writing this is that these people had had enough. They were weary and tired of being Christians because it was hard and nobody liked them and they couldn't get a job because they had to swear allegiance to Caesar and things like that in order to, to become members of guilds, unions of the day. And as Christians, they were not accepted. And so they, these, these people had had enough. You know, in chapter 10, it'll tell how they go and visit someone in prison, and while they're gone to prison, somebody comes and confiscates all their stuff, just takes their sofa and their donkey and, and all the things that they have because they're Christians. And so they were tired and weary, and maybe you're tired and weary today following Jesus. Just remember what he's done for you and that you can be free through you you are free from Christ from sin from fear from guilt and shame yes as James told us in Sunday school the Christian life is hard but it's not hard forever there there's something laid up for us in the future because of what Christ has done it's there and it's our hope set your hope on what's to come it will come sooner or later it will come and it will never end because Jesus is indestructible and, and he's going to keep us forever. So revel in that love that Christ has for us and, and let that bolster you, strengthen you, encourage you uh, as we struggle through this pilgrimage we're on. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see more clearly your your great love for us, to be convinced of that love. Lord, we pray that, that, we would, that we would delight in you, especially today, on your day, even as we leave our corporate worship, go to our homes. Lord, we pray that today we would truly rest and look forward to that rest that we will have one day where there will be no more fight with sin, uh, no more uh, problems to deal with, uh, but we will be in the new heavens and the new earth with you where there's no more tears or crying. There's no sin present at all, but only your glory. Only our brothers and sisters in Christ before you. Lord, we pray that we would be encouraged by that. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, that doesn't know you, I pray that they would indeed come to you, turning from sin, recognizing their need for you, expressing that to you, and praying that you would save them, that you would be their great high priest. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.